running is something that you have to realize isn't always going to be fun. It's supposed to be a hard undertaking. And I think if you set goals for yourself, there's going to be moments when it's hard and to embrace that instead of being discouraged by it. This is Sweat the Details, a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio. A podcast made for women by women that puts our training journeys, goals, and mindset at the center. I'm Tamara Pridgett. And I'm Adrienne Herbert. Every episode, we'll hear from athletes, trainers, and experts who will give us insights into how our bodies and minds work together in training and competition. In today's episode, we are talking about training for endurance. So we're going to be covering all things endurance and training your body and mind for the intensities of endurance sport. Our guest today is Eo Wang. She's a professional ultra marathoner, trail runner, and Under Armour athlete. Eo knows all about what it takes to find that energy to push through a 50, 75, or even a 100 mile run. As you all know, I'm a distance runner, but Eo is taking distance to the next level. And I think even more incredible of EO's achievements is that the ultramarathon scene tends to be filled far more with men than women. The journal Sports in Science explores the major enablers and deterrents to men and women competing in ultras. And what they found is that one of the major deterrents for competing in ultras is the amount of training time. And even though male runners may have more dependence, more children, more commitments, more responsibility, the women overwhelmingly felt the diminishing effects of those responsibilities when it came to participation. Sadly, that does not surprise me whatsoever. I think when we just like look at how society is set up, what we've been like conditioned to believe are the gender roles, dynamics, whether it's like in a relationship or not. Um, it seems like women always have to like, keep everything together, handle all the responsibilities. But I'm really glad that EO is here to show that like that is not the case. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, for sure. And I think that narrative that we've, as you say, heard a lot is that actually doing something that requires a lot of time where you're dedicating that time and energy to yourself is selfish or self-indulgent. And I definitely hear women mm -hmm. more than men in my space referring to it in that way of feeling kind of a bit of guilt, actually, and thinking, oh, this is super self-indulgent. I'm going to take the whole day to focus on my stuff when I really hope that people will be encouraged to do that more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think doing those things for ourselves, whatever that looks like, is not selfish. It's necessary because if we aren't taking care of ourselves and pouring into ourselves, then all the other things that are considered our responsibilities won't be as great. So with that being said, I'm really looking forward to hearing how EO trains for endurance while balancing all of the things that she has going on in life and not just competing, but absolutely crushing it. So Adrian, what do you say we get into this interview with EO Wang? Yes, let's dive in. EO, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure. As a runner myself, I've really been looking forward to having this conversation with you. So for anyone listening who might not know much about you and your journey to fitness, could we maybe start off there? My journey to fitness did not involve a lot of sports when I was a kid. I was mostly focused on schoolwork. I absolutely did not love running and didn't think that I was a good runner or a good athlete. 
And I wasn't interested at all in athletics until I went to college. And when I was a freshman in Boston, I spectated the Boston Marathon. So living in Boston, every spring, the Boston Marathon is a huge deal. And conceptually, I had no idea what a marathon was or what the Boston Marathon meant. So I followed along with a couple of my friends to spectate at around the mile 25 mark. And I just remember being so impressed by the thousands of people running down the street. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, look at the diversity of people who are out here and they look so deep in the pain cave and yet so elated that they're about to accomplish this tremendous undertaking that I decided I really wanted to do it. So I started researching how to run the Boston Marathon and that kind of snowballed into how do I even start running and training from not running at all. And it started really, really small. Like I don't think I could run a mile at that time. And I just got some athletic shoes. They weren't even quote unquote proper running shoes. <laughs> they were like old sneakers that I had. And I think I started with a couch to 5K program, run, walk, and then gradually increasing distance. So I really started falling in love with running when I was able to work up to running a marathon to qualify to run Boston, because it's not even straightforward to just run the Boston Marathon. You have to run a qualifying time and then you're able to register. Mm. And I think... After I did my first Boston Marathon, that's when I really realized that this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And at that point, I hadn't even considered being an elite or sponsored athlete. I just knew that I really liked running and I really liked the running community and the spirit of training together and competing together, but also being really happy for each other on our accomplishments. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. I feel like that story is so relatable. I live in New York City. So uh, when the marathon is going on, I'm always out. I think I'm right by like mile 18. So I'd walk down the street and that energy is just so real. And although I probably will never run a marathon, when I'm watching it, I do feel like inspired. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to do that. So like you were watching the Boston Marathon. It made you want to run. You, you know, you said you got like your athletic shoes. You started training. Can you tell us more about that process and what it was like for you? Like, was it an instant, I love this? Was it kind of love, hey, I'm going to see what happens? It was not love at first try uh, because running's really hard you know it's yeah. something that gets easier with training but is never easy I think that's how I like to describe it mm -hmm. I think that when I started I was lucky to be completely and extremely naive to the concept of what it takes to train for and complete a marathon I had no experience and almost no knowledge of what run training was like. So with those fresh eyes, I didn't think in my mind that it was going to be 
really, really difficult or impossible in any way. I just thought, oh, this is, you know, how I can start. And I really started by doing research and trying to learn as much as I could. Coming from kind of a science-focused background, you know, one of the first things that I like to do when I'm trying something new is to do as much research as possible and read about other people's experiences and just accumulate knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I read a lot of online resources and there are some great free training plans out there available at the time that I just picked one and decided I would try it and see how it went. And it also turned into kind of a goal practice, almost meditation type of thing where, you know, I had a training calendar and it was kind of like testing myself to see if I could stick to this training plan. Um, I also think it was a really nice break from the rigors of college and of schoolwork. You know what? There's so many things that you're saying that I can really relate to. I'm, I'm nodding along and thinking, yes, me too. You've achieved a lot in running. And I know in 2019, you placed first in the North Face 50 mile endurance challenge with a time of seven hours, 21 minutes, 57 seconds, which is an insane time, insane achievement. Like that blows my mind. So when did you realize that you were actually an insanely good runner? I think I didn't realize I was you know, good at running or could run a fast time until much later after I started running marathons. I do remember kind of the first moment when I got this inkling that maybe I had some ability that I hadn't tapped into before when I actually went on a run with a friend of mine in college and she had grown up as a high school cross-country runner. And so at first I was really intimidated to go for a run with her because I saw her as, you know, an experienced, established runner. But one day we made a plan and met up and just ran, I think it was maybe a three and a half mile loop. And towards the end of the run, we were kind of in that zone at the end where you're like pushing each other to go just a little bit faster. And you kind of get this adrenaline that you're getting towards the finish line. And she just turns to me and she was like, girl, you can really run. And I thought, wow, that's validation from like someone who um, (laughs) I view as, you know, having a lot of experience and knowledge with running and also exposure to other runners. So I think that was the first moment when I kind of thought, yeah, maybe I am pretty good at this running thing and I should keep doing it and see where it goes. At what point did you decide like, okay, marathons are cool, they're fun, but I'm going to try to do an ultra marathon. (laughs) So I ran marathons for over 10 years before even thinking about doing an ultra. I was really into road racing, trying to set PRs at all distances. And it wasn't until I moved to California in 2009 that I even realized ultra running was a sport. I thought, well, a marathon is hard enough. Like, why would you voluntarily run extra? (laughs) But after moving to California, I met a lot of local runners. And here in Marin County, I would say that ultra running is even more popular than marathoning. 
um, because there's such a history on the West Coast of people testing themselves in not only going longer distances, but also in rugged, mountainous terrain. Mm -hmm. And I think at first I was definitely in the mindset of no way that is not for me. I want to run fast on the roads is what I do. I don't want to be out there for 20 hours in mountainous, rugged terrain that just does not sound appealing. I like the controlled atmosphere of the road marathon. I like all the aid stations and people handing me cups of water. Like I don't want to carry my own water the whole time. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't until 2013 or 2014 that I got more interested in trying out ultra running because I had an ankle injury that required some surgery. So I was not running for about a year. So I started kind of rethinking what my future running goals were. And at, up until that point, I felt like I'd accomplished a lot of things that I'd set out to do in the world of marathoning. And I felt like it was just time to try something new. Mm -hmm. And I found myself just running more on trails and being more inspired by the scenery and by the challenge of the terrain to kind of explore that mm. a bit more. And we have a lot of local ultra events that take place in the Bay Area. So I just signed up for one. I was like, oh, I'm going to try it and see how it goes. And if I don't like it, I don't have to do anymore. And if I really like it, then I can keep pursuing this kind of racing. I'm really interested, you know, to hear what the reality of that looks like, because honestly, I feel like ultramarathon races have become increasingly popular over the last few years. Yeah, I'm really interested to know if people are listening and thinking, OK, maybe ultramarathon running is for me. What's the reality of that commitment and how do you balance life and rest and work as well? So I thought if I want to run an ultra or a 50K, like I have to do super long training runs and that would be a huge time and physical and mental energy commitment. And I found that to train for races like a 50K or a 50 mile, it wasn't actually that much more running than I was doing when I was just training for marathons. Um, my long runs got slightly longer. And instead of doing one long run on the weekend and an easier run, my coach would have me do, say, back-to-back -back long runs. But I don't think I've ever done a run in training that was more than five hours. I mean, that might sound really long, but compared to the length wow. of how yeah. <laughs> long some of these races are, it's actually not that much. I mean, that's like half the length of a 100K or you know, not even a quarter of the length that a 100 miler might take. Um, I think that you definitely need to take the time to build up to it. Mm. People think, oh, an ultra is just five miles more than a marathon. How hard can it B, I think there's a lot of little things that start to become more important in an ultra, things like hydration and fueling. Um, because for a lot of people, if you're coming from marathon training, you know, you're used to fueling yourself for a certain amount of time, whether it's three hours or four hours, but then you tack on another 40 minutes or an hour to get to that 50K mark. And your body goes through all kinds of new things in that mm -hmm. next hour, especially if it's your first ultra. So I think being knowledgeable about and also practicing nutrition is really important for someone trying their first ultra marathon. And I think that the thing that people 
often don't realize is a lot of these ultra marathons are in pretty remote places compared to going to a marathon. Mm. And there's a lot of logistics that you have to figure out because mm. yeah. there isn't the type of support that you receive from a race like the New York Marathon. I mean, there often aren't things like shuttles or um, lots of aid stations along the way. So you have to be very self-sufficient. And, you know, one of the things that we face in ultra running is that a lot of races are heavily male entrance skewed and there's you know a much smaller percentage of women participating in ultra marathons and i have a lot of theories about that and i think part of it is that time commitment that you have mm -hmm. to put in especially on the weekends like you know, I said a five-hour run doesn't sound very long, but for a mom, that's a really long time to be away. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was thinking yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mom to a, a nine-year-old and, and it's not just the time you're out and you're running, but it's also when you come mm -hmm. back. Like I know if I've come back from a two-hour run and then it's like, okay, can we go to the park? Can we go on my scooter? Can we play football? Yeah. And you're like, I'm thinking I really need to rest my legs, but okay, let's go. So <laughs> yeah, it's really, it is yeah. tough for sure. It's a physical load and it's also the mental load, right? Mm -hmm. yep. We've touched on like nutrition, we've touched on the actual physical aspect of training, but what does that mental preparation look like for you? A lot of it involves trying to reduce outside stressors. So things that are not running related that stress you out in life have a big effect on your training. For example, in my life, if I'm stressed about my work, as I work as a teacher, then that often leads into a run that doesn't feel good or leads into a workout that doesn't go as well as I wanted. And I feel like I can't hit the paces or the intensities that I want. So part of my process is to learn to almost disengage from the intrusive thoughts about other things that are going on mm -hmm. and just be okay with like shelving it or leaving it aside and to try to stay present in the moment of being with the run and what is going on right now. And also, I think thinking about why you're motivated to do this run. Are you running because you feel like you have something to prove to other people or are you doing this because you really love it and mm -hmm. you want to do it for your yeah. personal growth? Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's so many things in the mix there. And I think, you know, you touched a little bit before on the mental aspect when it comes to, you know, yeah, the external pressures or trying to, as you said, like kind of block out the things that might distract you. But when you're actually in a race, I'm really interested to kind of go there and kind of get into what that looks like, because you mentioned as well about mile 25 and like the pain locker. But, you know, and I've heard this whole thing that when it comes to endurance, you know, the mind is the master of the body. It's all about the mindset. But have you ever had a point in a race, uh, in an ultra, where your mind is actually given up before your body and you just think, you know what, I actually can't keep going or I want to quit or I want to stop. And if so, what did you do? How did you make it to the finish line? I think the mental aspect comes into play in every single ultra marathon. I mean, there have been races where I thought at mile 10 out of 50 that I feel terrible and <laughs> I'm not going to get there. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have 40 miles left. Um, what I like to do is tell myself to stay as relaxed as possible and feel like I'm running as easy as possible for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. 
And surprisingly, there's moments where if you're able to kind of just let the anxiety of how much distance and how much effort is left go, there's hours that just fly by and suddenly you're already at mile 30 or at mile 40 and then you know, okay, I have a certain distance left. Let's set some small benchmarks for getting yourself to that next point. Then that becomes, okay, let's focus on the nutrition, the hydration, like kind of taking your mind off of the overall picture of how deep in the pain cave you're about to get and trying to focus on what are the little things that are going to keep you going. So I need to eat this gel. I need to just get to that tree. You have to kind of realize, okay, my body can keep going. Is it my mind that's telling me that I can't. Mm -hmm. And then you can say things to kind of encourage yourself. So one of the things that I've continued to do is to talk to myself in third person. Mm -hmm. And I read a study that showed that talking to yourself in third person actually mimics, you know, people cheering for mm -hmm. you. And for some that can be even more motivating, especially when you're several hours into an event than giving yourself the self-talk. So you can kind of trick yourself because six hours in, you're not thinking that clearly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely taking that talking to myself in third person uh, because you're right. Like whether you're competing or you're training, there are just those moments where you're like questioning all of your life choices. Why did I decide to pursue this? Um, so I think that is extremely helpful. Uh, I'd like to pivot a little bit. So I definitely think that running is something that you either absolutely love or you absolutely hate. So as someone who didn't grow up as a runner, maybe didn't really love it initially, what advice would you have for people to just find enjoyment in it? My advice for people trying to find enjoyment in running is to find a community. I think my running community has kept me going through a lot of times when I didn't like running, when I didn't feel particularly good. Um, I think finding, you know, a supportive community is so important, whatever you're pursuing. And I think especially so for running, mm -hmm. um, I think some of the best conversations and deepest conversations I've ever had with people have been on a run. And another thing that I think is really important is to find what about it is actually compelling to you. Is it the physical aspect? Is it the mental aspect? Is it that you enjoy the goal setting aspect? And I think running is also something that you have to realize isn't always going to be fun or easy. <laughs> um, it's supposed to be a hard undertaking. And I think if you set goals for yourself, there's going to be moments when it's hard and to embrace that instead of being discouraged by it. Yeah. So when you're not running, what else are you doing to support your recovery, to support your, your strength? What else are you doing? When I'm not running, um, I'm doing strength and stretch. The concept of doing strength training as a runner has really become popular in the last couple of years as research and evidence suggests that doing that kind of work is really beneficial to maintaining 
kind of your body's integrity as you go on a run. And it's also a great injury prevention tool. So I do strength and mobility work. I do a lot of walking too, depending on how much running I'm doing. I find like going for a walk at the end of the day helps to release some of the tension from the other activities that I've done during the day. It's also a gentle form of movement Mm -hmm. that gets your blood flow going and kind of flush out some of the things that have built up in your muscles and your joints throughout the day. That sounds good. Awesome. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with more from our guest, Eo Wang. Welcome back. Today we are joined by Eo Wang and we are talking all about endurance training. Well, I think this is a great time to switch it up a little bit. So we always play games with our guest and we have one for you today (laughs) and it's called What I Eat on a Run. So basically, we just want to know how you're fueling during your ultra marathons and just various runs that you go on. And we also want to know how you store it because I think that's an important aspect to this. So let's start off with, do you have a favorite bar? I really like Luna bars. The lemon flavor, classic lemon Luna bar always tastes really good on a run. I think that tartness kind of wakes you up with your taste buds. Um, I eat a lot of Cliff Bars too. Um, My favorite flavor is Cool Mint Chocolate. And it also has the kick of caffeine. (laughs) That helps. Great. Well, you mentioned caffeine. So the next one is what is your favorite thing to drink on a run? My favorite thing to drink on a run is actually plain water. Um, I find if I'm also eating a lot of things like bars and gels and I'm drinking water with something in it, it kind of becomes too overwhelming and cloying in my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I just really want plain water to kind of like wash it down. Yep. Is there anything unusual that you like to snack on during your runs? Hmm. Well, for really long runs, I bring chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. I was was specifically thinking Levain cookies because that's such a thing in New York and I had one last night. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I'd love to know, after you complete a 50-mile run, when you get back, what is the meal? What do you want to eat when you've recovered, when your stomach's up to it? What's the meal that you want to have? My recovery meal is a burger and fries and mm. ice cream. Mm. <laughs> <We're just> like, <laughs> yes. I know, we're like, yes, that and, sounds wonderful. Yeah. That you don't is, have to run 50 like miles meal. to enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. So how are you holding all of this stuff? I think now that's like, okay, well, she's taking gels, cookies. How are you carrying all of this with you? I duct tape it to my body. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> people do like, do seriously? that. Um, you know, in the, in the old school days, people would take plastic water bottles and duct tape them to their hands. So it would make carrying them a little wow, bit easier yes. because there weren't specialized products yet on the market. Um, for carrying stuff with you while running. So people would duct tape it to their hands or, um, you know, around their waist or on the band of their shorts. 
Um, I usually take either a running belt or a running vest with me, depending on the length of the event and whether there's going to be water or food aid stops along the way. That kind of determines what product I'm using to carry my stuff. Um, I carry most of my nutrition either in the front pockets or like side pockets around my sternum. And yeah, that I think is my go-to method for carrying stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Io, thank you so much for joining us today and really just telling us so much about ultra running and just how you got started. Super inspiring for all of us, no matter what type of running we partake in. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was really fun. Thank you again so much, Ia Wang, for sharing her super insightful and interesting story, as well as the advice for any newbie and experienced runners who are out there listening. That conversation was so great. Io was so wonderful to talk to. I feel like she convinced me to like want to add a little more, a little more distance running into my routine, but not making any promises. Oh, watch this space. We'll see. <laughs> Just a little bit, you know. Yes. There were so many great tips and tricks in this conversation, but one that really stuck with me was when Io said that she talks to herself in third person to stay motivated. And I was like, yes, that is so amazing because you have to get out of your head, get out of your mind and whatever is happening there, especially when you're tired. And to just like talk to yourself from like this outsider perspective, like Tamara is great. Like you are amazing. She is fast, you know. I think that's super helpful. I've actually done it on a few workouts and it it does help a lot in my opinion. Mm, yeah, I knew you really liked that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, so many great takeaways from that conversation. And now it's time for us to check in on our goals. Yes, let's do that. So for any new listeners of the show, at this point, every episode, Tamara and I check in with you and also with each other on our current fitness goals. So we get real about the progress, we share what we've been doing, we talk about the struggles, and we also ask for help. Exactly. And so Adrian, I know you're aiming to get a new personal best for your next half marathon. So how are things going for you? Sure. Yeah, this week's been really good for my confidence, actually, because I think it was the longest training run that I've done in... Uh, in quite a few weeks. So I did a 10 and a half mile run, which is actually really hilly near where I live. And so the race course that I'm going to be running on is super flat. So doing 10 and a half miles out on the hills, I managed to stick to quite a good pace and I felt really strong in the last mile. Mm -hmm. That really gave me a confidence boost. I think I really needed that. They made me think, yes, okay, I'm in with a chance. I'm still in with a chance of getting that personal best. You're going to get it. Well, we'll see. It's coming soon. Yeah, you're going to get it. I feel like that session came at such a great time for you because, you know, the hilly workout, it's a challenge and you got to get out of your head. So when you when it comes to race day and it's a lot flatter and you just have so much energy and endorphins and adrenaline like running through you, you're, you're going to crush it. So how can we support you as you get closer to your race? How can our audience support you? Okay, great question. I think to be honest, because I haven't 
done a race for so long, obviously with uh, the pandemic, there hasn't been any races. I think what I'd love to hear from people in terms of support is like, how do the people manage their pre-race nerves, mm. whether it's the night before, whether it's the morning, because for me, I, as I said, I know I'm going to be excited about the race, but I'm also going to be nervous because I've shared with, with you about this, <laughs> this goal. So I feel yeah. like in the morning when I'm having my breakfast and my stomach's a bit like, oh, how do people cope with those pre-race nerves? Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Nerves, nerves are a tricky thing because right. You sometimes feel like, oh my God, this is bad. Like I'm sweating. I'm, my heart's pounding. This, this is a bad sign. You can like flip that thought process and, you know, tell yourself like that means you're prepared, you're excited. So that's how I kind of approach them. I know we're all different. So I'd also love to hear how people channel and handle the nerves that they experience before a race. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So Tamara, tell us how are things going for you? You're training for the heptathlon at the moment. So how is it going? Yeah. So for our regular listeners, you know that I'm training for the heptathlon, which is a track and field event that is seven events over the course of two days, but also first and foremost, just training to get back into track shape after uh, having a really intense surgery. But I feel so great right now, which is like very rare for me to say when I think about just like all the years I've been doing track and field. Similar to you, I feel so confident with my training sessions. And it's like a consistent confidence, which is super important. And then also when I look at the times over the progression of this training block that I just completed, like the numbers don't lie. They're getting so much better. So I'm like, I'm just super excited um, to the point that like I texted my coach. I'm like, I want to do a heptathlon before the end of the year. Do you think that's possible? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, okay, cool. We're on the same page. Awesome. That's so great to hear. I'm really happy that it's going so well because I, I even just the energy in your voice when you talk about it, nothing can replace that. It's such a great feeling. So I, I just really hope that that continues. So how can we help support, you know, as a teammate, how can I help to support and hopefully keep this energy and keep it going? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think just to remind me of this moment of like just feeling great, but also just to remind me to stay present. If I can just focus on today's workout, the specific rep that I'm doing, you know, like take it one step at a time, that's when I perform my best. Just remind me to stay present with every little thing that I'm doing and I think I'll be good. <laughs> it's an easy one. I will remind you of this conversation yeah. if you're having those inevitable ebbs and flows and being like, hey, remember when it felt like that? And you just got to hang on that that feeling will return. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's awesome. And we want to hear as well, the listeners, uh, how you're doing. So please do reach out on socials, cheer us on, give us any of your top tips and advice to help us on our journey, but also let us know how you're progressing too. So if you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Adrienne underscore LDN. Yeah, we want all of your tips. So please send them to us. And you can find me on Instagram at Tams Going Ham and on Twitter at Tamara Pridget. That's it for this week's episode. But don't forget to join us next week when boxer, trainer, and Under Armour athlete Monica Jones joins us to talk about strength training. Until next time, stay tuned in, stay motivated, and don't forget to sweat the details. Bye, everybody. If you liked what you heard on the show, subscribe for free or follow the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. 
Sweat the Details is a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Our show is hosted by me, Tamara Pridget, and me, Adrienne Herbert. Our executive producers are Jess Schreibstein, Giselle Lewis-Archibald, and Molly Socher. Our supervising producer is Maya Cole. Our producers are Ellen Kaplan and Kellyanne Toll. Our assistant producers are Natalia Tamayo and Bella Walco. And our sound editor and engineer is Sarah Gibble-Lasker. Keep up with the latest news in women's fitness by following Under Armour Women on Instagram at Under Armour Women. 